Torchlighter's Inception. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Torchlighters. This is Torchlighters. <laughs> Welcome to Torchlighters, lighting the way for a new generation of theologians. Yes. My name is Justin, and I am your host. And I am Josh, your other host. And today we are talking about beep, <laughs> <laughs> swearing, cussing. Get the joke? That's <clears throat> that's. I, I did get the joke. Thanks. This, like it was bleeped out. And, yep. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, what's happened since last time? You mean like five minutes ago? Because <laughs> we recorded these back, <laughs> back to back. Well, I have a, a glass of water now. Uh, Justin has more coffee. Um, what's something that's going on in your life? Oh, man. You joined a church? I did. I officially joined uh, Cities Church um, in the cities. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Appropriately named. Yes, absolutely. A little on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, guys. Um, yeah, it's been it's been really sweet having joined a church officially um, after not actually being a member of a church for as long as I can remember. I don't know if I was uh, grafted in by birth if I didn't have birthright citizenship at um, mom and dad's church. That's totally how it works. Um, it is if you ask the Presbyterians. That's true. As long as they get some water <laughs> dunk, sprinkled on them. <laughs> or pouring, I guess. Um, but yeah, it feels it feels good. It feels as if this is how it ought to be done. Because it is. Um, you know, I know some people don't like church membership as a as a concept. Um, but I appreciate it. And the idea of sh- of you being enrolled in the flock of God. Um, under the protection of um, elders who know a lot more about stuff than you do, have more wisdom than you do. Um, being under the care of godly men is uh, is comforting. And there's, a, there's a certain sense of protection there that these people will care for my soul, that they will check in with me, that I will be um, counted as one among many. And it's, it's been such a sweet thing and it's only been a couple months, but, uh, yeah, I would say that I treasure my church membership. Um, it's not, I don't have a membership in the sense that, you know, I once had a membership to lifetime, the gym, I could afford that at one point and then I lost my job. So it kind of screwed with that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not a membership where you pay for privileges, um, that one you might say that the privileges have been paid for by someone else. There you go. So. Hey, <laughs> Jesus juke. <laughs> so yeah, that uh, that's been great. Um, yeah. What about you? What's been going on in your life? Oh, lots. I, I I'm convinced that my wife will not allow me to not smoke meat over the winter. So it will be like the I middle. I almost of- thought you were going to say smoke weed. I didn't say that, but you didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, go smoke some <laughs> So say that again. She won't. She she's can't I'm, stop, won't stop. Can't st- <laughs> smoking meat. Smoking meat over the winter. So it'll be like February. She likes it. She likes it that much, and okay. I like it that much too. It's yeah, a hobby. It's good. And the thing about hobbies is that you must do them religiously and slavishly because there is no other option. <laughs> Only the best hobbies. <laughs> Only the best hobbies. <laughs> 
but it'll be like negative 20 outside and i will be like wearing my snow pants and i'll still be smoking meat outside mm. <laughs> yes i'm just convinced it's gonna happen yeah but i smoked some uh let's see i smoked chicken legs i smoked chicken thighs i did some ribs the other day i did uh a boston butt which is really good pork shoulder mm. and uh gonna do one of those again pretty soon here and then um uh, yeah. Sounds really tasty. Lots of really, really great stuff. Just yeah. And it, Kamado Joe is the type of grill that I have. And you can't do like 17 hour overnight smokes because it's just not big enough. It doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't hold enough fire. But, but not everybody <laughs> has that kind of time anyway. So, no. And I figured if I want to do that, I'll just, I'll make my own somehow. There you go. <laughs> but yeah. Old so, fashioned. Anyway. Sweet. Well, uh, yeah. Today is going to be a part two of the, uh, the last, the last one. Um, but we're not going to call it part two because that was really confusing. Sorry, everybody. Uh, when we did episode four and I think episode five or six or seven, we had (laughs) a A and B B. when we should have just said eight instead of seven B. I apologize. (laughs) I, I apologize. I'm very sorry, but yes, episode 22 of the torch lighters. We're going to be talking about swearing, um, synonym cussing um in regards to language uh so there were a few more points that we wanted to cover as far as language we want to wrap that up before we uh we move on to some objections some other considerations that we ought to consider um as you do with considerations uh (laughs) you consider the consideration yes (laughs) very eloquent Quest to be smart. So would um, make Socrates very proud. Yes. So, so I thought it was Socrates this whole time. Socrates. So, so <laughs> yes, because the E was silent in Greek. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what did you want to uh, wrap know, us I, wrap us up with? Yeah. So so from the last time, we kind of talked about the general overview of like, what is language? Where does it come from? And how should we use it? And the basic answer was language comes from God. We are made in the image of God, therefore we have the capacity for language and are required to use language the way God uses language. Sure. We lost that capacity, or at least that capacity was twisted in the fall, Mm -hmm. uh, which you can go to Genesis 3 and compare Eve's words to God's words and see how they're not the same thing in so many different ways. Yeah. And at that moment, language was twisted. And then from that point on, language continues to be twisted and twisted and twisted until you get jesus christ um and uh, he is the one who had no sin in his mouth did not answer reviling for reviling he was a perfect man able to bridle his whole body because he didn't stumble in what he said and uh and gives us that perfect tongue by um by imputation as it were Mm -hmm. that perfect righteousness he imputes that to us so that now we have in god's sight a perfect record of speaking. You reformed guy. <laughs> and um, and then from that, we we grow into that that declared status in the growth and sanctification as we hold the, the image of Christ um, and are renewed into his image and become a new creation in mm-hmm. Adam that was way better than Adam ever could have been. The new Adam. Yeah. And... Um, and so just to kind of summarize that, I just wanted to add a few kind of principles. And the, the, the question that I'm answering here is like, how are we supposed to use language to the glory of God? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, 
do it all for the glory of God. That would include mm-hmm. what you say and how you use your tongue. So, um, so just kind of just five thoughts. I'm not kind of claiming these to be comprehensive here, but one is that our language must always be keeping, be in keeping with what's real. Keep it real, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> our, our language must always reflect reality. Um, gotcha. To to use language in a way that construes things other than the way they actually are is false. It's deception. a falsehood. It's a lie. It's deci- deception. It's witness. to yeah. speak like the serpent rather than like the creator. Yes. Snake speech. <clears throat> um, secondly, our language must always be motivated by love to God and love to neighbor. We talked about this a little bit when we kind of got into that the Bible in a kind of a unexpected way does use obscenities, vulgarities, um, perhaps not in the way that we popularly think about them. Yeah. Uh, but it does use really shocking and serrated language. Yeah. And that is uh, designed to do that very thing, to shock you out of complacency and into repentance. Right. Well, the motivation there is always love God, love neighbor. Yeah, it's not for its own sake. Right. You're not insulting. You're not putting down. You're not reviling. You're rebuking for the sake of repentance. Mm, that's a good and distinction. And that, that is a really helpful way or helpful principle. So before you say anything... Sorry, I was going to quote the office. <laughs> this is before, a problem, Justin. Before I do anything, I always ask myself, would an idiot do that thing? <laughs> and if the answer is yes, I do not do that thing. Yeah. <laughs> Change my life. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, anyway, we always need to ask, Am I, is what I'm about to say motivated by love to God and love for my neighbor? Mm. Third, our language must always follow the pattern of God's word. Hmm. So love for God and love for neighbor is not this ambiguous, cloudy, squishy concept where we can just kind of mold it however we want. It's shaped by scripture. And so we actually learn how to speak by reading scripture. We learn how to speak about God's world and to speak in God's world by being formed by God's speech to us Mm -hmm. in the Bible. Um, so that means that we need to be in the word and that we need to follow the word's pattern. We need to describe the world the way the Bible describes the world. Mm. And when we do that, we learn how to speak in a God-honoring way. <clears throat> Fourth, our language must also seek to edify others and to give life. This is kind of a corresponding to, you know, love God, love neighbor. Part of loving your neighbor is to seek their good, not their detriment. Mm-hmm. Um, God's words in the beginning gave life our words should do the same thing. They mm. should, they should give life. In fact, I think one of the Proverbs says that, you know, um, the, the mouth of a wise man is like a tree of life. Mm. It, it's, it's, it gives life to people. And there's a way of using your language to do that. And there's a way of using your language that kills. Yeah. Um, and then fifth, um, our language needs to treat holy things as holy and profane things as profane, which is another way of talking about keeping it real, you know, keep it real, bro. Say a thing, say about things, what's true of them. So if you're in the presence of the Holy God, <laughs> speak as though you are. Yeah. Um, if you are, if you are in the midst of profane things, it's not wrong to express disgust over that. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, that just happened the other day. Uh, we were downtown and there was this gangster making these obscene signs and gestures at this lady on the, on the, on, on the sidewalk. On the sidewalk. Yeah. And I was, I was like getting ready for something to happen. And, and I was just like, this is really upsetting, you know, yeah. because this is not supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. 
and I got that that kind of holy rage in yep. me, you know. Yep. And, and and then I was like, "This is this is profane." I wanted <laughs> I, I, there are, there are things that I wanted to say about it that I restrained it, but <laughs> right. that reaction to that was righteous, I yeah. think. And and that we need to treat holy things as holy and profane things as profane. Yeah. <clears throat> so totally. that's just kind of I think a good helpful list just to kind of think through a list of principles to yep. help you think through. Okay, what what should I say and how should I say it? Totally. Well, um, one thing I wanted to mention, and maybe this will this will uh, launch us into a, a dialogue of sorts that we kind of rehearsed downstairs in the kitchen. <clears throat> should have should have hit record. Um, oh, we're just talking. <laughs> yeah, but uh, before we get to some objections, I wanted to just address the idea. I mean, we use the term quote unquote bad words right. when we when we discuss words uh that often have four letters um we we use the phrase bad words these are bad words but i want to challenge that um assumption um in the same way that uh but well by by using a, a comparison an, an, il- an illustration um when God created everything, he calls everything good. Um, and I, I would liken language um, as a thing that was created um, to something like alcohol, um, where there are no strict prohibitions um, on alcohol. It was actually something that is deemed good that was used biblically quite often. And also something like sex which is also a good, glorious thing um, that was created, right. um, that was deemed good by God. So in, in, in the same way that there are bad uses of alcohol, there are bad uses of sex. And in the same way that there are good uses of language, there are bad uses of language. So there are, there are no... But as a thing in itself, sex is not good or bad necessarily it depends on the context in which it's used and the motivation for which it is happening or alcohol for example you know using it as you know like say the lord's table for example it's a good good holy use of that as opposed to you know a frat party you know like probably probably not a great use of that same thing with words or language words inherently do not have a a good or bad quality necessarily to them. It depends on the context in which they're used. So the idea of a bad word, I think is a little bit too Platonistic where we're making a distinction and saying that these are bad things and these are good things. God created language in the same way that he created alcohol and we should use words wisely in the same way that we use alcohol wisely. Um, so just a, uh, a, a common misconception, I think, um, saying to, to think about words, um, this is Nate Wilson's uh, way of expressing it, Doug Wilson's um, son, who's a, a writer and screenwriter. He, he says that uh, words don't have black goo on them. Things don't have black goo on them. There's this evil black goo that gets on stuff. Right. And then there's this vat of white stuff that is good and that is on stuff Mm. 
that's there's there are no vats of goo <laughs> essentially is what he says and it's it is the world that god has created and it is about obedience to god uh first and foremost and not necessarily the you know the spe- the specific things and if they're good or bad inherently um so just a helpful something that was helpful for me to understand as as we approach language and all of this all this type of stuff. Yeah, there's there's a, a verse in First Timothy that has proven so formative in my thinking about these types of things, and it's First Timothy four four. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received there it is. with thanksgiving. That's the verse. Thanks. <laughs> because it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Mm. So words, in other words, something created by God, they're good, and should not be rejected, if and will change received to used with thanksgiving for because those words are sanctified by the scriptures mm-hmm. and by prayer in communication and communion with God. Yeah. So you walk in the presence of God and you use the words that God created to be good. Mm-hmm. With that, I think there's also a necessary counterbalancing point to make in saying that just because language as a gift is good doesn't mean that it's not in certain elements of those languages irreparably um, gutted by the fall, you know? So like there are certain words that have such negative connotations attached to them because that's the way that we use them in our culture that they are from the Christian's perspective, almost irredeemable. Mm -hmm. Um, Not in the sense that, you know, Christ's blood isn't powerful enough to redeem them or something like that, but just because that they've been hollowed out to the point where they're no longer useful. Word inflation. (laughs) (laughs) It has lost all value and worth. Yeah, yeah. We've used them so much in this negative way that it's just, why? You know, that's the question Mm. that I always kind of ask people who want to, for example, would be that I have in my mind is is the F word. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to use it? What would be the benefit? What would be the foreseeable edifying use that you could make of that word. And I just can't see one Mm -hmm. in a hypothetical universe. Could there be one? Sure. Yeah. But that's where wisdom kicks in is like, okay, can you? Sure. (laughs) Should you? Right. (laughs) No. And and that's where I would say like, uh, we live before the face of God. We live in the presence of God Mm -hmm. because the spirit of God dwells in us. And would I be comfortable using that in the throne room of God? Yeah. I would say absolutely not. Right. And that's why I would not use it. Yeah, I feel I feel the same way, honestly. Um, and maybe it's just because I'm a, a fighting Baptist fundamentalist, but like <laughs> I just don't I don't feel comfortable using those words. I mean, we we kind of covered this last episode a little bit, but uh yeah, it's my that's kind of where I've landed is that I will I will recognize and respect and test biblically to see whether or not the use of such a word by a Christian is, is actually edifying or if it's just because they want to seem trendy or relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, But I myself will not use those words unless it is absolutely necessary that they be used. (laughs) Whatever word that is, if it's a, if it's a profanity or, uh, vulgarity, obscenity, cursing, all the distinctions we made right. last, last episode, you know. It's the same thing with like hanging out with certain friends. Yeah. Like there are certain people who have become so hollowed out by the world that it's just no longer beneficial to hang out with them. Hmm. 
And so like, think of your words as your friends. Like why would you hang out with your heroin methodic <laughs> drug user who is, you know, hallucinating and wants to stab you? you yeah, know? Right. Like, like not, why not, would not great company? Why would yeah. you hang out with them? It's, it's not a matter of, is it virtuous to do that? You can contrive ways where that would be good, but would you do that? No, <laughs> mm-hmm. just when it comes down to it, no, you wouldn't. And, um, and I think the same thing is true with, uh, certain words in the English language. Mm-hmm. Can you contrive a way that you would use it? Sure. Why? <laughs> you know, right. What would be the benefit? Yeah. That leads me to um, my first objection, not in the sense that they are originating from me, but a common objection. Um, the first one, I, I guess, is kind of relevant now. What, um, well, let me say, words are just words, man. They only mean what people say they mean. So why does it matter? Uh, this is the um, linguistic relativist right. who says that words are just, you know, created. They're, well, they're just created by cultures. They don't have any inherent meaning. It's all just, it's all relative. You know, stuff changes. I mean, an example that I can, that I can think of is the word suck, for example, today. <laughs> sure does not mean the same thing it meant a hundred years ago. Like your great, great grandfather would have not appreciated the use of that word (laughs) and would probably have equated it with, um, a word that actually rhymes with it. That starts with a different letter. Um, (laughs) you know, like it's, it's over the course of time, the use of that word has changed and has broadened out. So this is, this is the objection. Words are just words, man. They don't mean anything inherently. So how do you address the linguistic relativist? How do you how do you address that uh, postmodern ish type of type of thing? Right. Well, this is based on an evolutionary view of language. So this is that words came from man are defined by man. It's a very man centered way of looking at language, which does not surprise me, especially considering the postmodern flair to this. Mm-hmm. That it's it's self defining. It is relative to the individual who uses it. Words only mean what people say they mean. There's no intrinsic value attached to them. Right. And to that, I would just say, biblically speaking, that's not true. Adam was created with words. He was created with the ability to communicate. He named the animals. He communed with his God. He spoke with him. He spoke about the woman, presumably very soon after he was created. Mm-hmm. Um, he had conversations, etc. So man was created with the idea, with the ability to communicate, and not just with that, but with a fully intact language mm-hmm. with which he could describe the world, which means that there is an intrinsic connection that God put in the mind of man, in mm-hmm. the mind of Adam, which he then passed on to his posterity between language and reality. Yeah. Second thing is that where where various languages come from, like the different languages in um, the world, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel, that God actually confused the languages. He was the one who created Swahili and, you know, I don't know what languages <laughs> Which ones, they yeah. spoke there, but like he, he, he confused them. He's right. the one who created them and put it into the mind of these various people. Mm-hmm. He is the one who did that. So the, the idea that language is relative and just develops over time it is true that language does have a flexibility built into it, 
but it is not true that it is a creation of man. It is right. not a creation of man. That's why it was so important that we started where we started. Yeah. Communication and language comes from God because God is a triune being. Right. Without that, you lose that center and language does become relative. Right. It does become self-defining. Yeah, they'd say, they, you know, they'd, they'd say well... English wasn't around in the time of Babel. You know, we can trace it back to like, you know, the year 1000 AD or something like that. But I would say, I would, I would ask you the question, oh, oh ye of objections. Um, were, were you around when God created Adam and Eve? Uh, was the tree in your front yard around when he made all of the trees? Um, however long ago, I'd say probably a couple thousand, but you know, whatever, call me a young earth crazy person. Right. Um, was like, was that, were were you around then? And you'd say, well, no. Well, does that mean that God didn't create you? Because he says that he knew you in your mother's womb Mm -hmm. and, and literally created you, crafted you there. So in the same way that creation now that tree in your front yard is the creation of God. So for you to say that God stopped creating after Adam and Eve would be to, would that would be stripping God of his creatorship, Mm -hmm. you know, to say that, Oh, English, like, you know, God created like all those, those ones in Babel. But then after that, he was like, ah, whatever, I'm done with language. Right. You know, like, no, God is sovereign he ordains everything to come to pass and to put language as something that is outside of the domain of his sovereignty would be to make God no longer God (laughs) to say that, Oh, he didn't create this language. And this was the one that we came up with. You know, we can claim this one as ourselves. Yeah. And, And I think that there's also an element to speak to here regarding the flexibility of language and the fact that language does evolve in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually, people see that as a really bad thing. Like, oh, it changes and therefore we can't know what anything means. It's like, that's not my experience. Like, I know <laughs> what people mean when they talk about iPhones, which is not something that existed 20 years ago. Yep. Uh, not even that. And, but we perfectly understand each other. Mm-hmm. And we can go back and read people who wrote hundreds of years ago and understand them with right. a very large degree of precision. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very important to, to note. But the flexibility that's built into language is actually part of the purpose of language. It's actually a built-in feature, not, not, a, not, a, glitch. not a bug. <laughs> it's not something that is wrong with it. It's actually part of the point. In the beginning, when God... Um, created man and gave them the commission to rule and subdue the earth. The first expression of that, of Adam, is naming the animals. Mm -hmm. So ruling and subduing takes its first step forward in a language reality Mm -hmm. of naming the animals. And we still do this. Yep. Like we still, we go down to the bottom of the Marianas Trench or whatever, and we find this like really weird looking dangly, (laughs) you know, I think it's a fish, but it's not, and it kind of glows in the dark. And I don't know what to call it because we've never seen it. And we name it. We come up with some Latin name for it. And we do that by taking pre-existing language and sticking it together to create a new word. Right. 
which we then use to refer to this thing. Mm. That's part of our responsibility to rule and subdue the earth. So mm. the fact that the w words exist now that didn't exist then, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the whole point. <laughs> right. So that we can actually go and rule and subdue the world. Yeah. And and that's actually part of the purpose that, that was there. So the idea that words are just words and they just you know it's just what people say they mean and in a sense i say well yeah they are just kind of what people say they mean but we also have a right and a god-given responsibility to do that right and then once we attach a meaning and significance to that it stays there yeah it attaches to that what do we call this this will always be called an iphone even if that name transfers over time the meaning mm -hmm. will still be attached to that word right and that's that's why we we issue new dictionaries is that you know, because the meanings of words, you know, do change over time, but we can go back to the 1600 Merriam-Webster, or I don't know if Merriam or Webster was around back then. Um, and we can look at those dictionaries, what they meant by those words. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why translation is possible. Right. Because when we use language as referring to reality, that connection is made between the word that we use and the reality to which it refers. So that's why translation across languages is possible, not only from, you know, say old English to modern English, that's possible also because words actually are attached to meanings, which are attached to realities. Like you can, tra you can translate the idea of sadness mm -hmm. to every language that exists on earth, even the one that in South Africa where they use clicks. Right. And stuff like it still works because that is part of the human experience. Right. You know, that is a thing that is, is within creation and can be translated across, right. across those things. And so there's another, there's another point to make in here too, yeah. because there is, and I'm borrowing from a scholar named Kevin Van Hooser at this point, there's a connection, a real connection, a God given connection between the world out there, the thoughts in my head, and the words I use to connect the two. Mm -hmm. there, 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 are, there is a connection between that, and it's real, and it's there. And this is the important point. I don't need to explain how that works to know that it does, mm. because we do it every day. Yep. I, don't, I don't, and this is part of the reason, philosophers can't explain this, because they're largely operating off of a godless worldview. And the only person who makes that connection possible is God, because right. God said in the beginning, um, God said, let there be light. And uh, it's a really interesting exegetical feature of that text. But um, the, the Hebrew of that that phrase of what God says is, let there be light, he or, and there was light, he or. Mm. Same phrase. And I think part of what Moses is communicating there is saying, what God says has perfect correspondence to the to way reality. things actually are. Huh. And that, so the thoughts in God's head, the words which he says and the correspondence to reality are all in, a, in alignment. Yeah. And you need God to make that happen. Right. Which means that the only people who can truly communicate are Christians. <laughs> a lot of people are not going to like that statement, but <laughs> no. it's true because you don't have the God of the Bible. You don't have the God of the Bible. And so you cannot communicate because even though you, you do communicate, right. but you don't have a justification for it. Right. You can't do it. I can say, I can understand the world. I can understand everything mm -hmm. because I have God. Mm -hmm. You can't, but you still try to, mm -hmm. and you have some degree of success, but you can't explain it. Right. 
So I don't, I don't need to offer a justification for that. Mm-hmm. I, I just know that it works because it does. Right. And my justification is God made it that way and he upholds it that way. Mm. And everybody else's justification is, well, it came from man or it's all culturally conditioned or sure. yeah, some other explanation. That reminds me of the uh, coherence versus co... co- correspondence. correspondence. Mm-hmm. There is the word view, those the two views of truth yep. uh, where truth is either is correspondence in the sense that it corresponds to reality or it is uh, coherent in the sense that it only is coherent insofar as it makes sense with itself. Um, and right. the that's the postmodern idea is that truth is just coherence um, and that language is completely divorced from reality and it's just it just means what we say that it means. And then there's correspondence, which I would say is the biblical view, which appears mm. very plainly to be the biblical understanding of truth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that. Uh, we're also running out of time here, man. Thirty minutes flies by really fast. You can extend it a little bit. <coughs> Extended edition. Not a point. Just the time serves the point, yeah. so not the other way around. <laughs> right. Um, another objection that I wanted to um, to bring up and get your thoughts on. Um, I did do some research on some other theologians um, and what they think about this issue. And it, I was not convinced um, either way about the, uh, the following statement. So this would be the soft cussing um, words like frick or dang. Sure. Um, you shouldn't say those either. If you're not going to say the quote unquote real thing, because that's just a dumbed down version of, of those other words that we don't say. And I'm reminded of a John Mulaney bit where he um, was in studio and was a writer for SNL. And he um, was going to use the word midget in one of his skits. And uh, his producer came up to him and said, you can't use the word midget. That's like using the N word. And he said, well, we can to say it's just as bad as the N word. You can tell which word is worse by which word we're not even saying, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I just, that's go look that up. I think that's hilarious, but should we, should we soft cuss? Should we say words sure. like frick or dang or darn or shucks? Because it's, Oh, it's just a dumbed down version of the real thing. And you can't say that. So why would you say that either? <laughs> um, what are your thoughts? I'm really curious. Right. Uh, like, so out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your language is an externalization of the inner conversation. And so what you are doing when you use those kind of soft words, uh, most likely, is you are, um, you have a disapproval or something like that that mm-hmm. you want to express about a situation or something like that. But you know you're not supposed to use the worse word. <laughs> right. And so you'd give expression to the same attitude through a less worse word. Right. When you look at it from that perspective, in a certain sense, it's worse <laughs> because it's driven by man pleasing. Because you're whitewashing Or it. self-righteousness. Yeah, right. So that's not me advocating for like, <laughs> so like full-blown swearing. But like you can see the point here. It's not about the words themselves. It's mm-hmm. about the use of the words. Because again, the words themselves do not have inherent moral quality 
It is the use of the word out of the overflow of the mouth words are used. And it doesn't have that same kind of shock value that a stronger word would have. Right. But it still, I think, gives, at least in the vast majority of cases, gives Mm -hmm. an expression to a, a, a heart which is oriented towards sin and lust Right. Rather than a heart which is oriented to God and says, I want to please him. So I think instead of saying like, well, well, I can't say the worst thing. So I'm going to say the, you know, the less bad <laughs> thing and I'm still going to do it. And it's like, how about you try to reframe it so that you are glorifying God positively yeah. by your circumstances. Mm-hmm. So you, this is another one that you have right here. I just stubbed my toe. Right? Mm-hmm. Is it okay at that point to swear? Yeah. And the answer is I just stubbed my toe. Yeah. <laughs> and the answer is, since when do your circumstances dictate the morality of your actions? Ooh. <laughs> so like Life through the heart. Like, is is it easier to do it in that moment? Yeah. We've when we've all done it. Mm. But just because I hurt myself doesn't give me license to swear. Yep. It gives me a good excuse (laughs) for why I did. And I think that when you look at that, how you should be asking the question, not, well, what can I say? You should be asking the question, how can I give glory to God? Yeah. What would God say in the midst of that? Yeah. And you'd, you'd hit it and something totally countercultural would be, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Just want to lift up my thumb to you right now. To glorify you in my pain. a really cheesy example but you get the point yeah. it's the same thing with sex people say well how far can i go and i say that's the wrong question the wrong the right question is how pure can i be mm. and you have the same thing right here yeah nice well that's uh that's helpful um i'd also want to want to say that you know we are we are saying the word frick we are not saying the other word mm-hmm. which is you know, worse. So I think in in a sense, it is not as condemnable because the contextual, uh, the connotations of that word are, are not as, are not as bad. Again, the value of the word, words don't have inherent moral value again, but the contextual connotations of that word right. are less morally reprehensible yeah. uh, with Frick as opposed to yeah. it's, worse cousin yeah that's so that's what the the nice christian homeschoolers say because they can't say the other word yeah (laughs) right so and i i would say you know don't condemn people for the use of those words but those those soft words you know um but do train them and disciple them in the proper use of language and it's it's uh and that type of thing but don't don't clobber them over the head with it Mm -hmm. um because it's, I don't, I don't think that that's useful. I don't think that that's helpful. Um, but do understand that, you know, language corresponds to reality and for us to speak in a, a lesser way is even like you mentioned earlier, perhaps more rebellious than even, you know, doing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's that. And then I just want to close out with, uh, just the, just the objection that, you're just a fundamentalist. Like, why is this even important? It's just a conscience thing. Like, this whole conversation is totally pointless. Like, why is it even important that we discuss this? You guys are just splitting splitting ends. 
you know, you're making my hair care routine so much more difficult with my split ends. Um, so like, why is this an important conversation to have? Why talk about cussing? Why talk about profanity, vulgarity, swearing, cursing, this type of stuff? Why is it important to make those distinctions? Why are we just, are we being annoying by, by talking about this, by expounding on this biblically? Right. Um, if by fundamentalist, you mean somebody who believes that God has authority over all of our lives, including the way that we speak, then sure, I'm a fundamentalist. Yep. Gladly. And I put the fun in fundamentalist. <laughs> yes, Josh and Josh between the two of us <laughs> puts the fun in fundamentalist. <laughs> I just put the list in fundamentalist. <laughs> Way too organized. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, the, or the mental. Yeah, but I do maybe, the mental maybe. part. <laughs> Um, but the, so like the point here is like, sure, call it what you want it, but just because you don't like it, uh, like that doesn't make it not biblical. Mm -hmm. And that's the point that we're saying. Jesus is Lord of everything, including my tongue. So that means I need to use my tongue the way he says. So it actually does matter. So it does matter deeply. And in fact, uh, you listed this verse actually, um, or is it? Is that that James one? James three? No, it was the, uh, how you answer a death. Sorry. It's all good. Matthew 12, 36 through 37. I tell you, in the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Oof. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Hmm. So, uh, at least according to Jesus. <laughs> at least. <laughs> or at least we should say Jesus as reported by Matthew. Yeah, right, yep. <laughs> like, your words have to do with your eternal destiny. Mm -hmm. You will be in hell or heaven because of your words. Right. And that adds so much importance to it. So am I a fundamentalist about that? Well, if it means I end up in heaven, yeah, <laughs> of course, <laughs> I will be a fundamentalist when it comes to... Uh, um, doing that but as far as fun we just need to be very careful that we don't set up legalistic false uh super biblical standards to try to protect ourselves from breaking the law or displeasing yep. god in some way by artificial human creations That's, that was what the pharisees that did. is exactly what the pharisees did and what they still do today in, in Judaism, that's what Midrashic religion is all about. It's about fencing the Torah. We want to put rules around the Torah so that we don't transgress it. And if that's what you mean by fundamentalist, then no, I'm not that. Yeah. I'm not seeking to try to, oh, we, we can't swear ever. <laughs> that's not the argument we've been making. Yeah. The argument we've been making is we need to use language the way God says and the way that God says to use language is the way that he uses it. Yeah, we would And actually... the way that he uses it is often highly textured. Right. And um, sometimes very shocking. Yeah, and right. And we need to wrestle with that. And that's that's what I was saying. We're not, we're not arguing for a Victorian prudishness, you know, where I guess, I guess they would, they would cover um, the legs of pianos because they were too sultry. Okay. Um, that level of prudishness is not what we are arguing for. You know, we don't, you know, we, it's not that we never speak, you know, in obscenity or vulgarity in the way that the Bible speaks about it. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to, you know, have the prophet Isaiah or Ezekiel 
be your scripture passage, you know, like we would just want to Thomas Jefferson that out of here, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So that's not what we're arguing for. We're arguing for, you know, the, the scriptural precept, the, um, that idea that over out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and your language is representative of reality. So represent reality in the way that God represents it. Um, and use that as a principle uh, by which you should operate and live as a Christian in the world, not as a sledgehammer <laughs> right. to clobber people over the head right. with. Right. So, well, we hope that this helps you in thinking about the use of your tongue and how you can give glory to God by your swearing and cursing <laughs> or lack thereof, <laughs> as the case may be. Um, but beyond that, um, I think we do need to wrap it up here. So, yeah. With that, we wish you well, and we'll see you next time. Adios.